Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Sometimes a movie comes along that makes the job of a reviewer easy, just as the veteran actor tends to scribble NAR on the undemanding scenes of his script, no acting required. It's a relief when some weeks there are sufficient riches at the cinema to duck the unimportant ones. NRR, no reviewing required. Like the latest in Denzel Washington's popular Equaliser franchise, number three, I think. You should stay out of other people's business. Whatever it is you and your friends do, do it somewhere else. You warning me? I'm preparing. <laughs> is that a Timex? No, it's a movie. That's the median nerve that I'm compressing. Let's face it, half the audience was always going to check out Denzel Washington Takes Down the Mafia, just as the other half wouldn't be seen dead there, no matter how enthusiastically it might be greeted by the media. So what else is on the NRR don't bother list? Well, breathless documentaries about Korean boy bands for a start. Number six of any horror franchise that you've managed to dodge episodes one to five. A feature film coming off the back of a TV series you've never heard of and anything called Lego Disney Princess. Release my father at once. Yes, Dawn must be stopped. We're ready. Count me in. And I have an axe. Let's go. Okay, ladies, let's storm this castle. It's not snobbery. Well, not entirely snobbery. It's just that not only is my opinion unlikely to be useful, it's completely unnecessary. These films have their own audiences who'll go whatever anyone says, and fair enough. Mind you, having gone, they may not like what they see, but their reasons for not liking them probably won't be mine. Are you afraid people will say you're doing this play to battle the impression that you're a washed-up comic strip character? Absolutely not. That's why 20 years ago I said no to Birdman 4. Hold the mask off! You do hold the mask My reaction to yet another episode of yet another mindless franchise is unlikely to be not as awesome as the last one. It's more likely to be why would anyone in their right mind go and see any of them? But what happens when pretty much every movie this week seems to fall into the NRR category? This thing, it's come back for me. This demon was once an angel. Rejected by God. When something's called The Nun 2, that seems to say it all, even if you didn't know that the original The Nun was a spin-off from a series of exorcist rip-offs called The Conjuring. I saw a couple of those, and wild nuns won't drag me to see another one. But then there's this. Maximum 20 people. That's six Greeks. Everyone suck it in. This is going to be fun. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, rated PG-13. Only in
in theatres September 8th. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3? How can that be? Surely one's enough. And by all accounts, this is basically the same movie put on the road to Greece. But Greek wedding fans tend to be loyal, and I suppose the same goes for a film that describes itself and its target audience in its title, Theatre Camp. I'm still me, Tata. No, your, your face is, is a new face. Let's hold, let's hold. Devin, you need to just kind of let in the pain of being a father. Like, mm -hmm. we need to feel that pain. But I'm not a father, I, I don't know how to do that. Did Julianne Moore really have dementia? It's a reminder that every great American film star, from Al Pacino and Meryl Streep to Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand, started out doing cheesy versions of Oklahoma and summer camps like this. Coincidentally, a rather good French film called The Innocent opens in an acting class, though this one's in prison. Hi, babe. T'es dans la voiture grise qui est garée devant le scooter, c'est bien ça C'est-à-dire de quoi Je comprends pas, Michel. Et t'es pas trop à l'étroit, coincé sous le tableau de bord Ah non, 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 franchement, ça va. Hein. Well, we've got a way to go first, and I know it doesn't need reviewing, but could my big fat Greek wedding three maybe have hidden depths You came You are the Portocalos family. I sent you the invitation. I'm the mayor of your father's village. Welcome to the reunion! Full disclosure, I found the original hugely successful My Big Fat Greek Wedding alarmingly flimsy when it came out in 2002. It was the semi-autobiographical account of writer-star Nia Vardalis' love and marriage to a non-Greek chap called Ian. And it depended almost entirely on the appeal of Tula Portokalis' colourful, some might say obnoxious, family. We are related through your papa's papa, who was a twin, and married to my great-great-yaya sister, sister-in-law. Cousin! Cousin! I'm Victory Adzbula. I will be your favourite. Produced by Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, Greek Wedding One was a sensation. The inevitable but pointless sequel was less so, and now a third one you'd think must be trying the patience of the biggest fans of Greek weddings, no matter how fat. We need a picture for Mom. Oh, here we are. Okay, ready? <laughs> Theofrida, I have your neck. Pull, pull, pull. High. Neck. High. Here we are. I've got this. Relax your lips. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so mad at the camera. It seems not. If the comments on YouTube are anything to go by, there was a queue of fans, or... In my case, not quite fans. So how are Tula and Ian possibly going to get married a third time? A lot has happened since my big, fat Greek wedding. Like I never left. My father passed away, and his last wish was for us to visit his childhood village and reconnect with our roots. Well, OK, there may be a little poetic licence going on here. The plots, though I suspect Aristotle might quibble over that description of what's on offer in Wedding Number 3, involves the happy couple going to Greece in search of Tula's late father's roots, whatever that means. So, we're having a reunion. We're going to Greece. Oh, yeah. One, two, three, four. And by we, I mean the whole family. And while there isn't room on the flight for Tula's entire family, who seem to run into the dozens in the last film, there's certainly room for the most annoying ones. These include Tula's brother Nick and a couple of Butinsky aunts, and somehow Tula's daughter Paris and her ex, whose name, coincidentally, is Aristotle. Who wants Souvlaki? Paging Souvlaki. Anybody by the name of Souvlaki on this flight? 
Aristotle, what? I didn't know you were gonna be here. What are you doing here? I had an amazing date. She ghosted him. Like the previous films, My Big Fat Greek Wedding has an optimistic idea of what counts as a fully rounded character. Mostly they're just a series of catchphrases. Like Victory, the young mayor of the village. No. Bloat away. Bloat away. Supermodels is fantastic. Number one. The best. There comes a time when you think that if you hear the expression number one the best one more time, you'll scream. Or Brother Nick's repeated habit of pointing out that something was originally Greek. Or the aunts doing that lovable ethnic aunt thing, all trying to disguise the fact that nothing seems to be actually happening. There's no other bedrooms. Family sleepover. <laughs> this is one reunion. <laughs> we'll never forget. Apart from anything else, there's certainly very little sign of a Greek wedding of any size for most of the film. Mostly it's Tula pottering about looking for Dad's remaining old childhood friends, if any, for a family reunion which seems, by Porto Carlo standards, remarkably underpopulated. I promised my dad I would find his best friends. I know them. Do they still live here? No. How do we find them? They will come for the reunion. Did they tell you they're coming? No. There is a tiny bit of will-they-won't-they they among the young folk, though a wedding there seems highly unlikely. Otherwise, nothing much to see. Writer and now director Nia Vidalos seems to have an almost pathological fear of startling us. Do you know these men? No. I am surprised, but I am not surprised because I'm never surprised. You lost me. And yet, despite all this, I had rather a good time. After all, for an hour and a half, I was visiting one of the most picturesque places on Earth. So for most of the film, I let what passed for the plot slip past me while I admired the sea, the islands, the wonderful food and the historic buildings. You dreamt about Aristotle last night. How did you know? Greek voodoo. Bam! I remember your story. I really need to find my dad's friends. Angelo and I are on it. OK, bye. Frankly, the activities of the Portocalis family were no more of an imposition than any other fellow tourists when you go on a trip to Greece. They didn't interfere with me. I didn't interfere with them. Let's do it! I'm calling it. You got us back to Greece. You're the head of the family now. I can't really day drink like this. Don't worry, a lady is never drunk. <laughs> In the end, there's a bit of a farewell party, and yes, belatedly, they find a couple somewhere who can get married at it. There's food, there's dancing, there are a lot of people calling out Opa. In other words, it's not so much a movie as a Mediterranean holiday. And after a long, bleak winter, who could possibly complain about that? Pick the one we have for dinner. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. No. <laughs> A little independent American comedy called Theatre Camp is set in a summer retreat for dramatically inclined kids. It's clear that just about everyone involved in the film had done time at some sort of theatre camp and had had the world's greatest time there. So they assumed that, like the musical at the heart of this movie, it would pretty much write itself. What about a Rondo? Listen up. 
squad game. Maybe uh, zip it. Sadly, an all-improvised mockumentary film like this only really works if it's done by Christopher Guest. And even Guest doesn't always pull it off. Can we just get you get to shoot? Oh, what a beautiful Oh, that Theatre camp opens when Joan, who runs a struggling summer school, is suddenly hospitalised at the start of the season. Joan's place is taken by her dopey son, Troy, described as a clueless tech bro. I have no idea what a tech bro is, but it clearly has nothing to do with theatre. Fortunately, the camp's teachers step into the breach. Welcome, auditioners. You guys are so talented, so unbelievable. This will break you. This will fully destroy you. Congratulations on being the most talented kids at camp. They are not quite couple Amos and Rebecca Diane, played by Ben Platt and Molly Gordon, who also devised Theatre Camp. I say devised, no one seems to have actually written or directed it. We only have three weeks to create a masterpiece. It's on you now. All on you. Let's do this. And cue cocaine. There are two undernourished storylines in Theatre Camp. The first involves getting an original show up by the end of the month. Naturally, it's a musical because, well, because that's pretty much how everyone at the self-explanatory Theatre Camp seems to roll. We're going to need to prioritise the musicals, which means the straight plays are going to have to be acoustic. Quick question. What's a straight play? There are musicals and then there are straight plays. So then what would be a gay play? I guess a, a, a musical. Oh, cool. As the musical advances in fits and starts, behind the scenes the camp is hopelessly in debt. And tech bro Troy keeps coming up with feckless business plans, often involving the kids trying to get the place to pay for itself. That's a good song choice, right? I do believe her as a French prostitute. Famous. Oh, I'm sorry. Sex worker. Thank you. But both stories keep being derailed by theatrical reminiscences. The trouble with improv is that it's all in the moment. You may come up with a promising idea, but then it's suddenly superseded by a new one. Starfish. Starfish. Jiggle like a jackal. Jiggle like a jackal. These are the things we can do with masks. These people are really weird. For example, there's Janet, a new teacher who arrives on day one, played by Io Edebiri, Sydney in the TV series The Bear. Now, what if Janet has completely cooked her CV and knows virtually nothing about acting or teaching? How did you learn stage combat? Oh, oh, man. It's hard to even say because I've been doing it for so long. I know. Yeah. How about accent work? Oh, you know, I can do it for you. That's really neat. How about horseback riding? Jousting? Yeah. Is that like with, uh... That is with, that is with those, oh. yeah. And then when, when did you learn how to juggle? Well, um, oh, there was a fire at my house, and that's sort of how I dealt with the trauma. Well, I'm afraid that remains in the what-if category since nobody seems to have any idea or interest in how to develop it. One minute it's there, and then it's gone. Same with the talented kids in theatre camp who are mostly left flailing with a bare minimum of material to work with. Sad news, I will not be doing piercings anymore in the hut because there's a narc amongst us. Um, Cassie has narked. It's totally fine. 
It'll come right on the night. May work with a live show playing to an audience made up of friends and family. But it's not what creates even a high school musical, let alone a fame, a 42nd Street or a singing in the rain. There's got to be some structure under the ad-libs and what-ifs. You need to know that only 3% of people make it. The rest end up in a mental facility or on a go-go box in Hell's Kitchen. But the main thing Theatre Camp depended on was an audience knowing what a Theatre Camp actually is. The film is littered with inside references that slipped past me and I suspect past anyone whose knowledge of live musicals is limited to we can put on a show right here in this barn and, oh no, the star's lost her voice. Who can possibly step up to replace her? This is a complete disaster. Everything is going to be OK. It doesn't work out, guys. We're theatre people. We know how to turn cardboard into gold. With the best will in the world, and that really is what I went into theatre camp with, believe it or not, you can only go so far with a show that assumes you know and care more than you do. Too many half-baked characters and underdeveloped ideas culminating in a final act that's implausible even by musical theatre standards. In other words, not enough theatre and too much camp. You think this is fun and games? It's not fun. It's art. Minor housekeeping issue, whoever stole my CBD gummies, please return them. I'm pretty sure I know who it was. One thing the recent French film festival has proved is that there's another successful business plan for the movies, apart from the one dominating Hollywood at the moment. Films like The Innocent hark back to an earlier time when films came from a few bright ideas and original characters and didn't depend on endless remakes and franchises based on elderly blueprints. T'es sorti quand déjà de prison? Une semaine. Qu'est-ce que tu vas faire maintenant pour une nuit de vie? Je vais faire un peu d'intérim. It also helps if it's the work of a hot new auteur. In this case, star, writer and director Louis Garel. He plays Abel, whose mother, Sylvie, teaches theatre at the local prison. Abel's disgusted when Sylvie falls for her leading man, an ex-burglar called Michelle, and marries him just before his release. Abel ropes in the lovely Clémence to help spy on Mum's shifty new husband. Celui avec le col roulé noir, là, tu le vois, là? Oh, putain. Quoi? Mais les canons. Sylvie! Et qu'il est le troisième en dix ans, tu l'as prévenu aussi ou pas? C'est plus une prison, c'est un club de rencontre. Je suis ta mère, quand même! Je m'en fous, t'es complètement folle! Should I mention that Abel is a scientist who works at the City Aquarium, that he and Clémence are just good friends, though Clémence thinks he needs to get over the death of his wife and have some fun, or that Abel's mother is quitting the theatre game to go into business with Michelle, though who knows how Michelle's paid for their new shop? Because, like so many films in this year's French festival, the intricate construction of the plot is much of its appeal. Like an old-fashioned Swiss watch, there are so many independent wheels and levers pushing the story to a satisfying conclusion. Alors, vas-y, c'est quoi cette fois-ci C'est le smartphone Du caviar. 3000 euros le kilo Tu appelles tout de suite et tu dis oui En plus, vous faites ça en famille
The conservative, risk-averse Abel may be at the centre of the increasingly complicated story, but writer-director Louis Garrel surrounds him with more colourful characters. Passionate theatre star Sylvie, cool ex-crim Michelle trying to go straight, and gorgeous loose cannon Clemence, the last person you want to have on board in a tricky caviar robbery. C'est que je pourrais te faire descendre dans la journée si je voulais. Ah non, tu peux pas puisque t'aimes ma mère. Si je te donne la moitié, tu le fais avec moi. Despite the innocence' apparent French farce origins, you know, it's just as much to that country's classic new wave heist movies of the 50s and 60s. Garel even looks a little bit like John Paul Belmondo in a certain light. Ça va? Tout va bien? Il est menaçant ou pas? Vas-y, réponds oui ou non. Tu veux que je vienne ou pas? Euh, bah, écoute, on se, on se voit tout à l'heure. Où me le passer? Euh, je te passe Michel qui veut te parler. And like a French New Wave film, The Innocent borrows freely from the auteur's real life. Louis Garel's mother not only taught theatre in prisons, but she also married one of the inmates. And while it's safe to say that what happened next came entirely from Garel's imagination, it explains the unique flavour of the film. Not quite comedy, not quite crime drama, not quite romance. Il s'assoit toujours à la même table. Comme ça, il a un œil sur son camion. Donc ça doit laisser à peu près 40 minutes. Donc il faudra 10 15 de plus. Pourquoi elle ne drague pas le chauffeur Non, c'est clair et net, c'est nous. Je veux non, draguer le chauffeur. Si tu, tu restes Je veux draguer non, le chauffeur. Garel's deadpan demeanor works particularly well opposite Noemi Merlon as Clemence. Surprisingly, her background was almost entirely straight drama before The Innocent in films like Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Tar opposite Kate Blanchett. Now, I say surprisingly, Noemi's hilarious in this. But as I suggested at the start, it's so refreshing to see a film constructed the traditional organic way. First, a script that takes real life in a smart, well-constructed direction, and then a cast of unpredictable characters, and finally an ending that ties all the loose ends together so deftly you didn't see it coming. Tu veux vraiment savoir ce que j'en pense, là Ouais, s'il te plaît. Parce que ça peut être d'une violence extrême, hein, ce que j'allais te dire. T'aimes pas le pantalon Mind you, such success is by no means automatic. The fact that The Innocent has done so well at festivals, it also notably won a César for best script, indicates that merely being French is no guarantee of cinematic greatness, but it clearly doesn't hurt. And it's always nice to see quality being rewarded now and again. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.